Welcome and happy Sabbath. Children of the living God, I pray that all of you are well. So I want to welcome you here to our worship service, and especially to all our visitors today. Um, I see a few, and I see some that I'm getting to know, and others I, I'm not sure if I've met, but um, I'm so happy that you're all here today. Before we begin with the message this morning, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for being our creator, our savior, our all in all. We thank you for this Sabbath day when we can worship you and to give you glory, honor, praise, thanks, and just to acknowledge you in all that we do. Help us to draw near to you today and realize just how powerful the love of God is in this world and in each of our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. How powerful is God's love? I'm not sure we know the answer to the power of God's love to his omnipotence, and all the other um, just awesome powers that God has. The Apostle John writes in the first letter, in his first letter, John 4.16, it's a very, very small verse, and I want to just point out a little bit of that verse in 1 John. 1 John 4.16 You know, there's a lot written in the, the epistles of John, the, the three letters. And 4.16 tells us that God is love. God is love. You know, if God is omnipotent, then what is love? What is love? God is love. And also, that one of the favorite texts of mine is found also in, in 1 John. Go back a chapter to... Chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 1 tells us, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. What is lavished? You know, lavished has a definition, a defining it as generous, over-generous, all the way to the top and flowing over, extravagant. God's love is extravagant, that he bestows on us profusely. Those are mighty words to describe how God has lavished his love on us. I really like that text, that writing that John gives to us, that God's great love is so great and that he's just given it to us in a lavished way. You know, the, the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, there are some things that Jeremiah I especially like about God's love. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. 
Jeremiah 31, verse 3. I think that most of us know this text. It, it should really give us peace. It should give us the knowledge. It should give us all that we need to know about God and his love. 31 and verse 3 of Jeremiah. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. You know what? That is so true. God draws us into him with a loving kindness. Wouldn't all of us rather be drawn in with loving kindness than with force and threats? That's no way to ask for anything. But when God draws us in, we need to feel that love for him in response. Jeremiah also says in Jeremiah 29 11, Jeremiah 29 11, let's all think about this text because it's for us as well as in the days of Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We don't really know or understand what that future is, but you know, if it's with God, who is the God of love, if it's with Jesus, then it's going to be an exciting adventure living through eternity. That's the future. That is the future for all of God's people. Now, that gives us hope. You know, if I ask you the question, what do you hope for the most in your life? Yes, you can feel the love of God today, but don't you want to feel that love face to face? Love is powerful. Now, Job, even Job has something to say about God and his love. Job chapter 5 You know, I really like studying the book of Job. You know, Job was a man that eschewed evil. He would run away from it whenever it was close. He sacrificed daily and prayed for his wife, his children, his servants, and his property. A faithful servant of God. And you know, all of the trials that he went through, he lost everything, and he even got sick. But Job stood firm in his faith for the love of God. Job 5, 9, and 10. Let's think about it. Let's meditate upon it. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted, he bestows rain on the earth. He sends water upon the countryside. Do we think of God and his power and his love when it rains? Yes, we do. And it reminds us. He reminds us of his love 
with a beautiful, beautiful rainbow. Yes, God's love is powerful. God's the only one that could put that rainbow in the sky. God's the only one that performs miracles because you know a miracle is a divine intervention of God. And whenever I say God, you can also say Jesus. You know that Jesus truly is our all in all. Love is perfect, after all, the perfect love of God. And how so? How, how is it perfect? Paul writes in the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. We all know that one. We all know it well. At least we ought to. 1 Corinthians 13. We begin with verse 4. Thirteen, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. The perfect love of God is patient. You know, other, another verse in the Bible in Galatians, there are fruit of the Spirit. One of them is long-suffering or patience. If you are long-suffering and patient, and that is what God is, by the way, it's a part of his awesome love for us. He's patient. Love is kind. I don't think you could ever think of a person that's more kind than God. He's given us everything, and sometimes we don't appreciate it the way we should. Love never envies. And I know a lot of people in this world, they envy, they covet, but love, the perfect love, does not envy. It never boasts. You never found Jesus, when we read in the Bible, of him boasting unless it was to his Father. Now that's okay, but to others, no, never boast. Never proud you know, the Apostle Paul says, I am proud of no one but my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and I'm proud of Jesus. It's okay to say you're proud of Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. It's never rude. It's not self-seeking. You know, self-seeking is a hard, hard um, hard thing to live. That's the last one in the fruit of the Spirit of Galatians 5, 22, 23. Self-control and self-seeking. Self-seeking is the opposite. But self-control is love. Jesus, he used self-control even when they were whipping him, when they spit on him when they attempted to kill him, he was, he kept to himself and he controlled himself. It is not easily angered. Now we know in the Bible it says that God does get angry, but he only gets angry about what we do, but not who we are. 
We are his. We're his children. He's lavishing his love on us. And it never keeps record of wrongs. Now, we have to define that, record of wrongs. When we've done something wrong, we ask for forgiveness. We know we'll be forgiven if we mean it. And then he doesn't keep record of it. He erases it like it did not happen. So there's not a God. God doesn't keep record of what we do. Unless we just don't care. Unless we don't ask for forgiveness. And what I like is it never, love does never delight in evil. Of course, love and evil, they're two opposites, total opposites. But rejoice is always in the truth. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. If you want to find truth, you find it in the love of God. You find it in the love of God. Always protects, always trusts, and it always hopes and always perseveres. You know when we persevere, we have a bit of God's love in us because we know that God is love and so we need to have the same love. And in verse eight, I wanna just mention a few words here. Love never fails. Did God ever fail us? Never failed us. Never. We've had other human beings fail us. In fact, we find that in the world, in the evil, wicked world, it happens quite often, is that people fail us. They tell us they're going to do something, they promise it, and they don't deliver it. They don't do it. Sometimes they're close. Sometimes they called you friend. And yet, they let you down. They let you down. But love never fails. The love of God never dies. It's everlasting. And verse 13, you know, we have three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that's God's love. God loves us with an everlasting love, as Jeremiah says. Let me tell you some stories about Jesus. Because it's Jesus that loves us, and he loves us with all of his heart, and hopefully we'll love him with all of our hearts as well. And there's a saying in the Old Testament, I think David may have said it, but the prophets Write on my heart every word. These words are words of love, of God's love. Jesus shows his great love in all that he does and in all that he is. You know, going back to the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, that is a week of creation and it shows God's love for us in everything he creates from the first day through the sixth day, his greatest achievement in creation is creating us. He created Adam and Eve. He created human beings. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish this earth. He was meaning the garden, yes, but more importantly, the people. 
Why would God say that? It's easy. God is love. God is love and love is eternal and love is omnipotent. Love is the love of God that is the greatest of all. When, when Jesus parted the Red Sea, he was showing his love, and of course to us too as we read it, for his people. He was saving his people. They were going to be basically beaten in, in some battle there by the Red Sea if Jesus didn't come through. And they were going to be taken back as slaves in Egypt. And they probably, you know, thinking that, they probably thought this is going to be the rest of our lives through generations. But no, God, Jesus intervened with a supernatural event. I can only call it, it's the intervention of God. You know, these stories of Jesus, we love them. And in the songs we sing, tell them over and over again to us. Aren't they the most precious words that we can even imagine or meditate on? You know, I think of three young men. They're being forced to worship a king. But not King Jesus, King Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They are told they must bow down and worship the statue that represents Nebuchadnezzar. And if they don't, they're going into that burning, that fiery furnace that is so hot that they were going to be cooked. And when they didn't do it, you can find the story of these three young men in Daniel 3 and verses 24 and 25. You can read along as I tell you the story of Jesus. These men would not bow down. They would not kneel. And they had two chances. And then they said to Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to do it. Doesn't matter what you tell us. Doesn't matter what you make us do. We're not going to do it. And so as they were thrown into the furnace, you know the guards, they were killed instantly because they got too close. But you know who was waiting for these men? Waiting for them in that furnace? It was Jesus waiting for them. That's the power of God's love. He loved these men and he loves them like us forever. The Bible tells us that's a wonderful story of deliverance. And even Nebuchadnezzar realized that, yes, this Jesus that you serve, this man I see there walking around in this furnace with you, is the Son of God. That's Jesus. And he knew that was him. And he knew that was him. That's true. He knew it was them or him. You know, the Bible tells us that these young men were not injured they were not burned. They did not get sick and die or burned to a crisp. They lived and they lived on because they were given some important positions in Babylon. Why? Was it Nebuchadnezzar or was it God's love? It was God's love. 
Now there's another story in Daniel 6. You already know this story that I'm going to make mention of. A man named Daniel. And when you think of the Bible, can you imagine? Can you think of many more men in the Bible who had the faith of Daniel? Daniel here is a slave and now he's being told that he cannot worship his God and that he needs to worship the other king, King Darius. And he was told he could not pray to his God. And yet, with an open window, looking towards the east, Daniel prayed, he prayed, he prayed. And mentioned three times, I'll bet Daniel prayed every moment because he's a slave in a foreign country. And you know the penalty that they gave then for not obeying a decree of the king I think he was the Medo-Persian, the Mede. If you don't obey him, your, your consequence is being tossed into a lion's den. A lion's den. These lions hadn't been fed. They were hungry. And they threw Daniel in there. The King Darius could not sleep the whole night long. He ran. And you can read that in chapter 6. I got 19 through 22 if you want to look at that or the whole chapter. He ran to the lion's den and he shouted into the den, Daniel, did your God save you? Did your God save you? And Catherine's saying, yes, yes. God saved Daniel from the lion's den because God is love and God is eternal and his love is eternal. His love is everlasting. And so, these young men, they were conquerors. They were conquerors over evil. And that's what our Bible text was about this morning. Thank you, Clyde, for reading it. They were conquerors. And you know we can be conquerors as well. All we need to do is trust in God and in his love, which is omnipotent. God is love. You know, another story I'd like to share with you before I bring to you to Christ's ministry on this earth. There was the crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. Joshua 3, 5 is the key text here. Joshua, on the day before, is telling the entire nation of Israel, today, you need to consecrate yourselves. And that means give your heart to the Lord. Consecrate. Because tomorrow, Jesus, or God, will do amazing things. You know, that river was not to be crossed that day, except through Jesus. It's kind of like Israel going in, in, down a, a dry passage through the sea, the, the, the Red Sea. And yet that day, because of their faith and their consecration to Jesus and his love, Jesus made sure that they were safe and they crossed the Jordan River. We love these stories, and that's why we say, tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. You know, I don't know how we cannot accept Jesus as our creator and savior.
with these wonderful stories of Jesus, I know, I know I can say for everybody, we've kind of fallen in love with Jesus. Somebody would do that much for us, we need to return that love to him. During Christ's ministry, Matthew tells the story of Jesus, and he tells it well. Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9. You know why Jesus came to this earth? Because he's love. Because he loves us all. And he wants to save us from our sins. He wants to make us conquerors. And we can conquer, just like Paul says in the book of Romans. Matthew 9, 35 and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and all the villages. He probably went through Nazareth, Bethany, Jerusalem, whatever other cities you can think about. He went through all the towns and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues. And my, I might add, by the way, it was his practice to go into the synagogue so that prophecy could come true. And because of an example that he went into these synagogues on the Sabbath day, he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. How could that be? Because he's standing right in front of you. Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. And he was healing everybody that was sick or had a disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, they were helpless, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. Do we have a shepherd today? Do we? We do. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus because the greatest quality of Jesus is that he is love. I love the stories of Jesus. You know, he healed a blind man. He healed somebody who couldn't talk, a paralytic, someone with, uh, I think he even healed the one that lost her life. He, he, he healed a demon-possessed man. He healed a leper. Why? Because Jesus is love. That's why. He loves us. How much does Jesus love us? Well, we only need to look at the plan of redemption to show Jesus' love. You know there's no plan of redemption unless somebody dies. That's the only way it's fulfilled. This shows us beyond any doubt that God is love. Christ on this earth and Christ in this universe, Christ in heaven is our high priest. 
he overcame evil and he proved his love over and over and over again. When Jesus was there on the cross, we find a text, John 19, 28 to 30. John the Beloved, he writes, it's something we need to meditate on, think about, pray about, the John 19, 28 to 30. This is kind of wrapping up the plan of redemption that assures us of salvation. It assures us that we can come to God and we can ask for forgiveness and receive all the rich rewards that he has for us. John, 18, 19, uh, John 19, 28 to 30. Here is Jesus, victory, how can we say victory, on the cross when he overcomes all the evil that Satan threw at him. He's there for us and for all of our sin. John 19, 28 to 30. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they, they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and they gave Jesus a taste. They lifted it up to his lips, and when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, gave up his spirit. Jesus died. You know what? The real story here is that in dying for us, he has proven that he has overcome death and he's resurrected and he lives today. And you know, when we think about that story of Jesus on the cross, it is so powerful, so powerful. John also writes in John 3.16, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is love. Jesus promises us eternal life. We have, we have more promises. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. Did he ever leave Joshua? No, he never less left Joshua. Enoch, in the, um, Hebrews 11, 5, he overcame the world. He overcame the world. For 300 years walked with the Lord and now he's with Jesus in heaven. He is physically and literally in heaven with Jesus. And then we have Moses. You think of him as a man of God, the most humble, faithful. He's also in that Hebrews faith chapter. I think Moses is more than a conqueror. He's there sitting with God right next to him on the throne of God. You've got 
You've got Enoch. You've got Elijah. You've got Moses. If they're there, we're going to be there too. We're going to be there too. I love those stories of Jesus. I love them, and I try to write them on my heart every day. In Revelation 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, John writes about seven churches, about anyone, and of course this is part of the prophecy, but we can take it to heart that when God says something, it means something. Maybe symbolic, but it means something. So in Revelation 2 and 3, this is how, how we overcome. And this is the reward when we overcome. The first church is, is Ephesus. Revelation 2, 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do we really believe that? Do we want to be there? Do we want to overcome? Do we want to conquer? Absolutely. Absolutely. And to the church in Smyrna, verse 11 of chapter 2, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, he who is a conqueror over sin, over Satan, will not be hurt at all by the second death. The church in Pergamum, Revelation 2.17, it tells us, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. A new name, the manna. The church to Thyatira. Revelation 2, 26, 27, 28. To him who overcomes and does not does my will to the very end. I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them like pieces of pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give the morning star. I will give the morning star. You know, I've always thought of a morning star as Jesus. I will give him the morning star. And the church to Sardis, chapter 3 and verse 5, he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. White robes. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but I will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Acknowledge his name. We want our names to be acknowledged before all of heaven. And of course, the awesome Father God. Now we have the Church of Philadelphia. It's the sixth church. And Revelation 3, 10 and 11 says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, 
You know, Philadelphia is about brotherly love. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on this earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. You know, there's a crown waiting for us. It's going to be ours to give, uh, ours to receive from God. So if you hold fast to Jesus, no one else can take it. No one else can take it from you. And the last church, the church of Laodicea. We've studied, we've heard about this church maybe more than all the rest. You have a church that is lukewarm. Lukewarm is not good. When it comes to anything spiritual, it's better to be cold or it's better to be hot. Because cold, you can get hot. But lukewarm, you're too satisfied. You don't want anything else. You don't need anything else. Oh, you mean you don't need Jesus. And you know what? This says you'll get spit out. Spit out. We don't want that at all. But it says to, um, in verse 19 to 21, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. You know, if the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, don't do that. If you do, this is going to happen. That's getting scolded by the Holy Spirit. But when you listen to the Holy Spirit, it's because of God's love. It's because of the love of Jesus. So be earnest and repent. That's it. Repent, ask for forgiveness. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and eat and he with me. Do you know Jesus? He ate with the disciples on that last supper, that last communion service. You know, one day we will have a wonderful feast and a meal in heaven and all the saints will be there to have communion service with Jesus. And that'll be the first time that Jesus has it since he had it with the disciples. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I can tell you right now, I want to sit on that throne with Jesus right next to Enoch and all the other saints, all the other saints. And you know, the Bible tells us the first will be last and the last will be first. What difference does it make if you're sitting closer to Jesus, maybe like John the Beloved, or if you're in the same row and you're at the far, far end? Doesn't matter. You're there with Jesus. Doesn't matter. We need to cling to Jesus. And the Bible tells us we need to claim the promises that God has for us. How are we going to ever be faithful and accept everlasting life and God's love? Claim the promise. Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's powerful. Can do how many things? All things. And who does it that gives us strength? It's Jesus Christ. 
He gives us that strength. I just love that text so much. What about the promise found in the book of Matthew that Matthew writes about? Matthew 7, 7, ask and ye shall receive. What is it we want? I know I want God's love. I want to be faithful. I want the faith that the Holy Spirit will instill in me. So those are wonderful promises. Luke eleven thirteen 13 tells us whenever we ask for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is right there. He'll, on your, he'll be on one side and your guardian angel on the other side. Jesus left the Holy Spirit to be there for us, to be our counselor, our guide, our teacher, everything. And we need to what? Ask, ask, ask. Jesus told the disciples, you don't ask. How can I give you if you don't ask? Ask and you shall receive. Ask. John 14, 13 and 14 says that when you ask me so that I can then give God all the glory, Father God, I will do whatever it is you ask. I will do it. What do we want most? Don't we want to experience in person the love of Jesus? Ask for faith. And when we do, we grow in Christ and we grow in faith. He will do this. He will absolutely do this. Once again, love makes us, all of us, conquerors. Because con um, uh, love conquers all. Love conquers all. You know, we overcome sin and evil. We overcome Satan. We overcome a last enemy, which is death, when we become conquerors. We are conquerors because the love of Jesus. I have, in closing, some words to read, and it's in the, uh, the book, The Great Controversy, we turn to the last page, if you want to reference it. It's page 678. It, I'll give you the, I, the controversies ended. You know, Alan White is the lesser light. Yeah. And uh, who's the greater light? Jesus Christ, the Bible. So at the end of the great controversy, it says obviously the great controversy has ended now. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. Sin and sinners are no more. One pulse of, of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all, flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space from the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. God is love. And when we accept 
the love of God in our lives and we become more than conquerors, we know that God's love will never leave us. He will stay close to us. And that love will carry us through until he comes again because we are conquerors because of the love of Jesus which saves us for eternity. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, which is all-powerful, which is omnipotent, and because of what it is that Jesus did for us, because of love, that he died in our place, because we know the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the atonement of Jesus on the cross. Lord, we cannot thank you enough, but we do ask you to help us to be conquerors of sin, conquerors of Satan, and conquerors of death. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.